أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الناس إنا خلقناكم من ذكر Assalamu alaikum, which in Arabic means peace be upon you. Uh, my name is Muhyiddin Muhammad Manib Khan, which, as you can likely guess, we need something shorter. So my friends call me Mo, and my family calls me Manib. So I've worked it out with uh, Pastor Kent. If you can pronounce Muhyiddin, you get an extra coffee after the uh, <laughs> service today. So, so uh, uh, that uh, recitation was actually uh, the Arabic recitation for one of the verses that Diana so beautifully read for us uh, earlier, just a few minutes ago. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself first, and then uh, give you a little bit of an overview of Islam in America and Islam and its basic tenets. So um, my parents actually immigrated here from Hyderabad, India, and uh, I've lived in many different places, but I grew up right up the street for the most part in Newton. So uh, I would say that throughout my upbringing, the majority of my friends were predominantly Jewish. Uh, later in life, I ended up marrying the oldest of six in an Irish Catholic family from Dorchester. <laughs> so God, if you're listening, I hope I have most of my Abrahamic bases covered here. <laughs> so um, I have two sons, uh, and we belong to, as was mentioned earlier, the Islamic Center of Boston in Wayland. Um, so let me start, I guess, by giving those here a little bit of an overview of some statistics. So overall in the world, about one in four people is Muslim. And there are about 49 predominantly Muslim countries. So one thing that's very important to note, too, is that Arab is actually not synonymous with Muslim at all. Only about 20% of Muslims are actually Arab. And 20% of Arabs are actually Christian. So a little interesting statistic there as well. So in America, the Islamic Muslim community is likely one of the most ethnically and geographically diverse communities in America. And actually Islam um, goes back potentially 400 years where some of the early slaves, um, there are statistics that say potentially upwards of 15% of the slaves that came to this country were Muslim or practiced Islam in some way or shape or form. In fact, there are, are uh, historical reports back, you know, dating 250 to 300 years that many of the slaves, when freed, had the opportunity to do their own pilgrimage. So they actually they did a pilgrimage to areas that were called Mecca within the U.S., believe it or not. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time, and I probably should take myself on out and put it out here so, because I have a huge mouth, and um, this is the only way that I'm going to keep things to time. But uh, let me talk a little bit about the fact that a lot of times when we interact 
in the, in, with the greater um, non-Muslim community, especially here in the Massachusetts area, we spend a lot of time talking about um, what Muslims refrain from doing, you know, for example, alcohol or you know, pork and eating pork, that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking a little bit more about what makes us Muslim. You know, what is it that we do? Uh, what actions do we perform as Muslims? So uh, you know, my apologies in that I uh, had probably the worst possible timing for a horrible cold, so that explains why I sound like I've been gargling wood chips. So my apologies for that. Uh, that way I'll keep the, the remarks to a short minimum here as well. But um, all Muslims believe in five pillars, right? And that is the construct for which all Muslims start their basic belief. Now, of course, there are many sects of Muslims. I won't get into the details of all of those, but they all believe in these basic five tenets. And I'm sure you've probably heard the word Allah, right? So just a little bit of clarification on what Allah actually means. So quite literally, Allah is the Arabic translation for the word God, right? In fact, Arab Christians use the word Allah as well. Right? And one of the only differences, really, between the two words, God and Allah, is that in the Arabic language, the word Allah cannot be pluralized. Right? So that's, of course, part of one of the core tenets of Islam, the first pillar, which is actually, to become Muslim, one simply testifies that they believe in one God and that the Prophet Muhammad is his messenger. Now, as a child, this really struck me because I remember probably being about 10 or 11 years old, being in the mosque and seeing for the first time someone converting to Islam. And the process was very simply and quite literally, they stood up with some witnesses as a part of the Muslim community, and they testified that there is only one God and that Muhammad is his messenger. And that was all that was needed for them to become Muslim. Now, of course, to practice Islam takes a few other things. So let me talk about some of those other tenets. Um, second tenet is what they, in Arabic, what they call salat or prayer. Right? So if you're not familiar, Muslims pray five times a day. And the prayers are divided up into different times of the day that are judged by where the sun is. For example, there's a prayer that happens right, as the, right after dawn as the sun begins to rise. There's another prayer at about noontime to 1 o'clock, one in the afternoon, one as the sun sets, and of course one in the late evening as well. I mean, really for me, it wasn't until, I guess I'm ashamed to admit, probably my late 20s, early 30s, that I really began to appreciate that prayer was simply something more than just going through the motions. Right? It's all based on the concept of submission. In fact, the word Islam means to submit to the will of God, as an example. Right? And prayer was so much more than these actions. It was, in the true essence of submission to God, the ability for one to be able to wipe away you know, all pride and, and be in the most humble of states and be in the most meditative of states to appreciate God and, you know, in your ability to, to relate to him in a connected single way. Um, so, uh, the third pillar in Islam is something that we just finished. Uh, we have a month called Ramadan. So, Muslims follow a lunar calendar. And in a lunar calendar, uh, we have about roughly 10 less days uh, within the year. So, each month actually moves a little bit. So, the month of Ramadan is a very, very important month for us. Now, you likely have heard that during the month of Ramadan, Muslims fast, which, of course, is one of the things that we do do. You know, we refrain from any food or beverages during the daytime. Sometimes, uh, you know, that gets referred to as the not even water month. But yes, not even water is consumed during the daytime hours of Ramadan. But one thing to take away from Ramadan, uh, you know, that of course, the remembrance of God is very important. But someone said it to me very succinctly once, uh, which is something I'm not very good at. And they said, 11 months out of the lunar calendar of the year, we spend a lot of time on the material, 
and we squeeze in the spiritual whenever we get a chance to do it. But Ramadan is actually an opportunity for us to flip the tide, right? For us to concentrate. We spend more time reading the Quran, more time praying, you know, more time thinking of these basic tenets and these basic things we as Muslims believe and hold so dear. So it does a bit of a reset for us, right? And of course, the hope is when the month of Ramadan is over, which actually ended for us on Thursday, Friday was our, our Eid celebration, which I think Saadi is going to speak a little bit more about. Um, we hope that these traditions that we held with, during these 30 days, that you know, the, this attachment that we grew during these 30 days will stay for us. Right? So that's the third tenet. Um, the fourth is charity. So all Muslims are actually obligated throughout the course of one lunar year to donate 2.5% of everything that they have saved. Right? I know many faiths have a tithing. Uh, it was usually on something that you've earned. For Muslims, it's actually 2.5% of everything that you have saved you give towards a charitable cause, right? Um, and to me personally, uh, this is important because, you know, uh, a lot of folks think about the poverty in the world and they think about everywhere that there are Muslims or non-Muslims who are in need. Um, for us in our community, we are very, very blessed to, to have been, um, you know, in, in positions that we can give. Uh, so, uh, again, also blessed to be a part of the Wayland community where the support for charities both local, which are needed for Muslims locally, as well as overseas for Muslims and non-Muslims who need them, is fantastic. So uh, the last tenet of Islam is that of Hajj, uh, which is otherwise known as the pilgrimage. All Muslims, one time in their lifetime, are obligated to perform a pilgrimage in Mecca, right, in Saudi Arabia. Um, I was called to the Hajj, and I'll explain what I mean by that, um, about six years ago. And... Uh, before those six, six years ago, before I was actually called to Hajj, there were probably five or six years where I kept thinking to myself, yeah, this is the year that I'm going to go on Hajj. You know, I have the means, I have the capability, I'm in a position in my life that I, I should be able to do this. And for some reason, it didn't happen. I can't explain what that was. But I can say that the year that I did go on Hajj, I was called. There was something that I can't explain again that brought me to doing it that one year. Right? And I think, um, again, I, I'll admit, uh, you know, as growing up in this country and as an engineer who's very much a pragmatist, uh, I've gone through various phases in my life where I've you know, gone in and out of different levels of agnosticism. And Hajj, for me, was quite simply the single most surreal event to wash much of that agnosticism away. Right? When you think about us as mortals and you think of us as people who think of the material so often... When you're on Hajj, one of the things you really draw attention to is, uh, in Hajj, everyone is equal. Right? We all wear simple white, two white towels, all the men do. Women wear simple outfits as, uh, um, as well. We all stand together. We're all praying. There is no difference between prince or pauper. Right? And we ask for things in our lives that we want. We, of course, have remembrance of God as well. All of these things are of critical importance to me specifically because most of those things that I hold so dear in everything that I wanted in my life, I sincerely believe that when I brought those to the table at Hajj, that that was why they came to fruition. So again, very difficult to create correlation when there's the unseen and there's a greater power. But to me, that was one of the single most powerful events to, to help me in my faith. Right? And I was fortunate enough to go with my sister as well, and she echoed exactly the same sentiments as I. So those are essentially the five basic tenets that all Muslims follow. So at this point, I will hand the podium over to my sister in Islam, Sadia, who will give her own remarks as well. Thank you.
Good morning. So I'm going to start out by reciting the Arabic verses for the um, other segment that Diane read. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa'tasimu bihablillahi jami'an wa la tafarraqu wa askuru ni'matallahi alaykum iskuntum ma'da'an fa'allafa bayna qulubikum fa'asbahtum bini'matihi ikhwana wakuntum ala shafa hufratim minan nari fa'anqadakum minha kathalika yubayyanullahu Thank you for welcoming your Muslim neighbors into your worship service today. My name is Sadia Hussain Baloch, and probably I'm not the exotic and unusual person whom you expected as your Muslim neighbor. I grew up next door in Newton, similar to Munib. I went to preschool in Newton Center and then to the Newton Public Schools, then on to MIT and Brown. I'm a computer engineer, a mother of two confident young Wellesley women, a past Girl Scout leader, a board member of the Center Street Food Pantry, a member of the Daughters of Abraham Women's Interfaith Book Group, and technical support for many of my technology challenge friends and family. <laughs> None of these roles are counterintuitive to the, my Muslim identity. I have a whole set of other roles in my congregation at the Islamic Center of Boston in Wayland, volunteering for several years as a Sunday school teacher, education committee member, web guru, and outreach coordinator. The goals of our Islamic center, or mosque, are probably not much different than those of your church. We educate children and adults about their religion. We provide a place to worship, to pray on happy occasions and on sad ones, alone or as a community. We try to inspire the next generation of Muslims to live their lives as good citizens and we engage in community and interfaith outreach. In fact, over a thousand students, teachers, thoughtful adults, teens, and children visit us each year to observe our prayer services, to take a tour, to ask questions, and to hear firsthand from American Muslims. And when we do outreach at the Islamic Center of Boston, it's more like making inroads. Making inroads can mean chipping away at an iceberg, making a connection where none existed before, creating understanding where there was previously a void, and letting a tear of compassion flow. The basis for this peace and understanding already exists. It's part of the very foundational principles of our faiths, love of the one God and love of the neighbor. These principles are found in the sacred texts of the Quran and of the Old and New Testaments, the unity of God and the necessity of love for the creator, and the necessity of love of the neighbor is our common ground. In this current climate of distrust and misinformation, it is so important to get out and meet the quote other. We are striving to be seen and heard too, as people continue to ask, where are the moderate Muslim voices? We are here and we are a majority around the world, but moderate voices don't make exciting media. Over the last couple of years, the dialogue has turned to what can our faith communities do to support each other rather than simply what can we gain from knowing each other? As you heard in the verse from the Holy Quran, God created us into nations and tribes so that we may get to know one another. We don't all have to be the same to live in peace. So we're here on the third day of the Eid al-Fitr holiday being celebrated across the world and on Father's Day. 
Eid al-Fitr celebrates the end of the month of Ramadan, which is sort of like a spiritual boot camp for the soul with increased worship, charity, and contemplation, and of course fasting from sunrise to sunset every day for a month. Ramadan is not just an act of faith or one of our pillars, but is such a refreshing yet hectic community-centered time as well. With Eid having fallen on a Friday, it means that the Eid gatherings this weekend, with all of these gatherings, I've eaten about three times as many meals in two days than I'm used to eating for the last month. And the celebrations continue for most of us as soon as we leave here. As a Muslim community, we're excited to see so much buzz about Ramadan in our libraries, classrooms, and even on supermarket flyers. Employers and teachers ask how they can accommodate their fasting workers and students. At Wellesley, my daughter um, had two days of fasting during Ramadan, and, I mean, during finals, two days of fasting during Ramadan, and she and her Muslim classmates were offered an option of taking final exams after sunset if they wanted to. 35 years ago in my high school in Newton, I fasted, but no one really knew what Ramadan was. So I was just an anomaly in their eyes. My friends could not Google Ramadan and most probably did not have access to books that would explain the practice to them. We are in a very different world now where people can find the information they need or unfortunately, the wrong information as well. So I urge you to ask us for resources for learning and teaching about Islam in your communities. It's important that an entire community is not reduced to just a holiday observance on the calendar, but included in the fabric of discourse. I recall how excited I was in my own 12th grade history class when the teacher referred to the Judeo-Christian Muslim tradition rather than just the Judeo-Christian tradition. That inclusiveness meant a lot to me, and that was the first time I thought of what it meant to be a Muslim in the larger scope of this country. Perhaps you learned something today that will help you dispel misunderstandings from hearing the refrain of Allahu Akbar in the beautiful call to prayer that Munib recited, you know now that it means God is great rather than being misconstrued as a threat. Or perhaps you should take away, what you should take away is that your Muslim neighbors are concerned for their children who bear the brunt of Islamophobia in their schools and on the playground and are expected to defend the beliefs of their entire religion. You may not know or recognize your Muslim neighbors because we are as diverse as all of America. We teach or coach your children. We are your doctors, your lawyers. We cook great meals. We volunteer. We give you a smile. Please get to know us. Reach out, make inroads, cross the street, visit us, and bring your friends who may be scared to take the first step because you have taken the first step already in reaching out to us to be here today. Thank you.